0: Tennis fans and welcome to yet another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis alongside Mike McIntyre. You can follow us at Southpaw underscore slice. Follow me at Ben Lewis SN 590 and follow Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. So our first Grand Slam of 2019 is upon us down under the best men's and women's players in the world competing in Melbourne. At the 107th edition of the Australian Open, Roger Federer and Caroline Wozniacki, the defending champions. Serena will be looking to add to the trophy case. Novak Djokovic is the men's number one. We have four Canadians in our singles draw. And uh, really to break it all down for us, very special guest from Sports Illustrated, John Wertheim. He's also an analyst for the Tennis Channel and a correspondent for 60 Minutes. Uh, John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Before we, I guess, delve right into the tournament, uh, really the story that's sort of taken over the first Day one is uh, Andy Murray's press conference announcing uh, a potential retirement this season. And then an absolutely incredible round one match with Roberto Bautista-Agu that went five sets. That that was just nothing short of remar- remarkable.
1: Yeah, I, I think everybody was sort of trying to figure out what to, to make of it. Was this a heroic effort from murray in what may well have been his last match or was this hey wait a second this guy just played a five-cent match more than four hours and uh acquitted himself well maybe this gives us hope it's not the end after all but uh you know i i think it's one of these things where these retirement decisions are always very hard it's always hard to speculate about an athlete and injury and i think honestly murray himself isn't entirely sure where he is with this i mean it's a, a quality of life issue it's how competitive do I want to be and am I willing to settle for a level it's less than what I thought you get the feeling he's still trying to figure this out so maybe this uh was the last match he's played maybe it's just the last match he's played in Australia maybe he's reconsidering this we'll we'll
2: see John, were you at all surprised that this announcement came a couple of days ago from Murray where he had that emotional uh, press conference? Did you sense that perhaps we were getting to this stage based on the fact even after coming back from that surgery last year, he was still visibly struggling to uh, get back to his usual self out there?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're, uh, you're you're absolutely right when you say visibly struggling. I mean, with the naked eye, you could see that he was pretty severely compromised and hip injuries uh, and tennis are a bad, bad marriage, bad combination. There's some injuries you can play through. There's some where you can compensate, but a hip injury is is pretty fundamental. And, you know, he played a practice set here against Novak Djokovic, who's number one player in the world, Murray's rival. They're born within a few weeks of each other. And I, I feel like the fact that it was Djokovic on the other side of the net really cemented, Murray's decision um he didn't make it through two practice sets and this was just a couple uh, days before his first round match and I, I wonder if it had been someone else on the other side of the net if that wouldn't have had an impact but I you know it was one of those things where it wasn't surprising at all I mean we, we've known that he's been injured for a while we've seen him in action it hasn't been the same Andy Murray and yet when he actually went in there and said you know what uh you know game's going to be ending here pretty soon it still was surprising in in its way. But, uh, again, I just think we don't know how he's feeling today. I mean, he played five sets and he played well and he was out there for more than four hours. And sometimes he looked like he was in agony and other times he looked like a pretty darn good tennis player. I don't know how he's right now um, waking up the next morning, but um, I I think this is something he is kind of processing himself. You get the feeling he's left the door open uh, a little bit and we'll just sort of have to see how this shakes out.
0: Yeah, as you said, he he hasn't officially retired yet and uh, sort of made the announcement he'd like to make it uh, to Wimbledon. And now considering maybe that additional hip surgery, we'll see what happens. But for now, I I look at his career, three Grand Slam titles, two Olympic goals, uh, 14 Masters, 1,000 titles, really sort of cemented his his legacy and kind of turned that conversation from big three to, to the big four for a period of time, reaching the world number one in 2016. I know he's still playing now, John. But where do you think he might rank among some of the the pantheon of greats, at least in the open era?
1: I think it's a it's a great question because I think there's a real balance between how much we are just doing this based on accomplishments and, and who won how many, and how much we're considering the context. I mean, I would I would say for him to win three majors and get to number one in the Federer, Nadal, Djokovic era is something that really ought to be considered and factored. And, you know, you can say this about a lot of players, but if he played in another era, you you feel like he would have done considerably better. Um, You know, I mean, I I think we're seeing the three best players ever competing right now simultaneously. They have 51 majors uh, uh, among them. It's just this incredible era. So so being fourth in that era, no... uh, no shame in that, and I. So I think you know people are going to say, listen, a lot of people have won three majors, like easy, easy there on uh, Murray's place in history. But I think you consider three majors in these kinds of fields, and getting to number one is not insignificant. He won a Davis Cup. He finished the year at number one. I mean, there, there's a lot to recommend here. So I, I think um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm okay with uh, calling it the Big Four. Certainly, he is the fourth of the four, but but he's still in the group. And then I think we're just going to have to figure out how much we value raw accomplishments and how much we're willing to take into account that those accomplishments came in this unbelievable era.
2: Going from uh, Andy Murray to, you know, as you mentioned, the other in the Big Four, the other members of the Big Four, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. As we look at those three to start the season, how do you assess their chances coming in? Is there one amongst them that stands out perhaps a little bit more to you?
1: Yeah, I I think Djokovic is uh, considerably... Higher than the other two. In part, he's, he's the youngest of the three. He's won the last two majors. He's ranked number one. He's I mean, sort of everything is pointing to Djokovic. He's won this event six times already. Vetter has looked very good. He won his first-round match uh, without dropping uh, without dropping serve. And Nadal is, is a big question mark. I mean, if, if Nadal is healthy, he could challenge for this title. But he's had a rough go of it on, on hard courts. Uh, right, right now, I, I would say you know, Djokovic is considerably uh, a better bet than the other two.
2: Is it kind of funny to say that Roger Federer coming in as the two-time defending champ here is kind of flying under the radar in a sense? And I don't know if it's the way he's sort of deflected and kind of pushed to Djokovic as being the the favorite, but how often do you see a guy who's won the event twice in a row and yet he's not getting as much chatter as perhaps you'd, you'd normally expect?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a funny position. I mean, it's a guy who's won the event twice in a row. He hasn't lost here in, in three years, and he's the 20-time Grand Slam champion. And yet, I, I think you're right. I mean, he played his first match, Federer did, simultaneous to, uh, to Murray. So a little bit of the thunder was taken away by, uh, by that. Everybody sort of crowding in to see Andy Murray play. Federer's been very good about deflecting this, as you say. And, boy, I, I hope I'm there, but I wouldn't bet on it. And I think some of this is the way Djokovic has been playing lately, which has just been, I mean, since Wimbledon 2018, he's been far and away the best player in tennis. And I also think some of this is how Feder finished out 2018. He won here last year, obviously, but that really was the, the peak of his year. And the last six months of 2018 were not what we're accustomed to for Roger Fetter. That's it. He looked great in the Hoppin Cup. He's looked good here. He's even admitted. I mean, his, his serving has been good. He feels good. So I, again, Djokovic would be my favorite, but Federer would be my clear cut number two.
0: You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Our special guest for our Australian Open preview is John Wertheim. You can follow him on Twitter at John underscore Wertheim. Uh, I, I know age has come into question for, for Roger Federer, but he continues defy it, to defy it. In terms of that next generation of players, I'm wondering what you think might be a little more likely, John, in terms of our a next Grand Slam champion outside of that big three. Uh, would you be looking more at a name like a Sasha Zvera, Pas, Kachanov as the guys knocking on the door, or are there additional chances for players like a, a Kevin Anderson, Marin Cilic type?
1: Uh, I mean, there's sort of, uh, there are arguments in both columns for all that. I mean, I, I wonder if some of these players, you know, Anderson and Cilic are both north of 30. Cilic, of course, has one a major before, though so that was, uh, you know, we're already going on. Almost five years here. Um, I think those players, at some level, these middle-aged players, Milos Raonic, Grigor Dimitrov, Nishikori. Part of me feels like they've been kind of beaten up a little bit. Uh, there's there's some emotional scar tissue there. Um, I mean, I, I think they've had so many disappointments that I almost feel like the better bet is one of the younger players. I mean, obviously, you know, Zverev sits these guys at, at 21, 20, 19 years old. In the case of Dimonor, they're going to have a lot more opportunities than guys a decade older. But I, I think that some of these players have just been so many sort of close but not quite and so many upsets along the way and so many sort of discussions. Could this be the breakout for Dimitrov? And then he, he loses in week one. I think that accumulates. And uh, you know, Kevin Anderson would probably be my breakout pick. He's been to two majors now in the last 16 months or so. So if someone were going to break through, that would probably be my pick. But again, I, I think you're... Safer picking one of the younger guys who just can go out there and, hey, maybe I'll just catch lightning in a bottle and play 21 great sets of tennis. I think that's probably a, a better bet than the guy who might be higher ranked, but again, has had so much disappointment
2: uh, in these majors. As you, you mentioned, some of the future potential Grand Slam stars that we're, we're going to be seeing in years to come. I mean, at some point, those, those big three, big four have to retire. Uh, I also want to talk about the future of the uh, ATP tour at large. And there's been a lot of talk this week. And I think kind of confusing to a lot of people that are trying to follow along with regards to the future of ATP chairman and president, president sorry, Chris Commode. <laughs> and we've had our own Canadian Vashik Pospisil be very outspoken and He's got a lot of respect uh, here in Canada, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and uh, he's certainly leading one side of the charge. Can you maybe clarify and simplify what's what's going on out there for us? it's uh, it's tennis's version of brexit. Um,
1: <laughs> no I mean I, I think this is in, in some ways this is just there this happens uh, in all businesses this is do we keep Dwayne Casey or do we but' the time to part ways with him? So I think there's a group of players who feel like the ATP has made some strides. They're happy with the leadership. There's another group that feels as though the leadership needs to be, uh, it needs to be changed. I think the fact that everyone is kind of, as you alluded to, everyone's kind of glimpsing this, what is this world going to look like when these three towering champions are no longer, it's easy to sell the sport when, uh, you trot out Federer, Nadal and Djokovic. It's a bit of a different sell when you have players that are, are less accomplished and less well-known. And I think that, uh, there's definitely uh, a schism, you know, I mean, there's, there's definitely tension in the ATP about are we ready for regime change or do we like uh, the continuity? And uh, there was a, a player discussion Saturday night before the Australian Open started. And I think the big takeaway was we're going to keep discussing this and reconvene uh, at the Indian Wells event in early March and discuss it again. But there are definitely two factions here. And, uh, you know, Pop Hospital wrote a note to, players ranked 50 to 100 he's clearly in the regime change camp but uh again there there are players on the other side as well who say listen this is a critical time for men's tennis this is not the time to install a new leader so we'll we'll see how this plays out when it gets put to a vote but there's definitely tension there
0: We'll, uh, we'll shift course to the Canadian players and, and two of them will be in action on day two. Now, now some of our listeners might might wake up and listen to this podcast and uh, the matches will will have gone final. But uh, you alluded to Milos Brown, it's sort of in that middle age bracket now in his career and has uh, dealt with, uh, you know, a myriad of injuries throughout his career, but at the same time, he's been to the semifinals before in the Australian Open. Is this first round matchup with, with Nick Kyrgios maybe sort of the blockbuster match of, of day two that people are going to have their eyes on? And what's the consensus maybe around Milos and his chances to, to push for a second week here? I think this is one of these matches that everybody
1: circled. I think at some level it depends on which Nick Curious shows up. The guy that uh, has been pegged as a future major winner, or the guy who right now is outside the top 50, and uh, sort of who knows where both his head and body are. I think Milos Raonic deserves an awful lot of credit for what he's done with his career. He's done everything professionally. He does not have this, this huge fund of talent the way other players do. I think it's going to be hard for him to win seven matches in a major under different conditions under this kind of heat and at at his physique and his size. Having said that he and Nick curious are are quite a contrast and a guy who is, uh, you know, probably wasteful with his talents and curious and a guy in in Milos who has maxed out his talents. And, uh, you know, for Nick curious, this is what happens when you don't take things seriously. you, your ranking drops, and you are in danger of, of facing a, a good-seeded player right off the bat. It'd be a big disappointment for Nick Kyrgios at the Australian Open to start his year off with a loss. But if you go by the rankings, uh, you know he, he's not supposed to win this match. So uh, a bit, bit of an unfortunate match for both players. I'm sure Milos isn't thrilled about playing a talented guy, a guy who's been in the top 20, a guy who's going to be a crowd favorite. But this is what happens when uh, your ranking drops, and right now, Kyrios at number fifty-one uh, is in danger of facing seeds early.
0: I'll just uh, follow up with the, with the other Canadian in the bracket and uh, as you mentioned Milos Raonic might not be viewed as the fund of talent maybe more the business like efficient type of player and and then we have the the young phenom in Denis Shapovalov who I think is viewed as one of these electric up and coming talents who has the style and the flair um, is is he big outside of Canada are people go- going to sort of flock to his courts to, to see him play and uh, is he another player who who's in the mix and can be just a dangerous matchup for anybody.
1: Yeah, I I think that uh, we're waiting for the grand, you know, we're waiting for the the major breakthrough. And I think uh, Chapoval is one of those players that purists and hardcore fans have identified as a real talent on the rise. But I think uh, in this sport, you make your bones at the majors. And sort of we're still waiting for that quarterfinal or that that great week two performance from Dennis. Unfortunately, if you look at the draw, he uh, is, is likely to face Djokovic in a third round. So uh, on one hand, that's a big opportunity. On the other hand, you, you don't want to go too far down the road of talking about him as uh, a favorite when he plays the, the best player in the sport, um, you know, potentially on uh, the, the middle weekend of the tournament. But no, I, I think long-term, uh, there's a lot to like in Dennis. Again, I, I think some of this is, is physical. He, he's flashy, the one-handed backhand, a good, good athlete. He does not have... Roundage's issues as far as sort of a lumbering physique. Dennis is very light on his feet. Um, I think you also like sort of temperamentally. I you mean, know, he, he competes well. He's a good level of head on the shoulders. You wish maybe he had a bit more in, in the weapons department, but if you're projecting what's the upper ranks of tennis going to look like in, you know, five, six years, I think he see squarely in that conversation.
2: Hey, John, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule there in Melbourne. We know that you're uh, quite involved with a variety of uh, different uh, tennis uh, sources this week, to say the least. We, we look forward to chatting with you again down the road and following the progress of our young Canadians. But uh, thanks so much and uh, enjoy the rest of the, uh, the fortnight there. You got it. Anytime. Thanks, guys.
0: That was John Wertheim. You can follow his work from Sports Illustrated, also an analyst for Tennis Channel. And uh, thankfully for us, breaking down the uh, two Canadians on the men's side of the draw... Keep in mind for our listeners that yes, they are playing on day two. We're recording right now, so there is the possibility that you tune into our podcast tomorrow morning. I would hate to say they're both out. I would love to say they're both in the second round. We don't know yet, but uh, I like the I like the first round matchup for Denis Shapovalov against Spanier Pablo Andujar who doesn't really have any weapons to bring to a hard court. I think it's the perfect match for him to kind of get his feet wet and get into this tournament.
2: Yeah, and there's a lot to be excited about for both of them if they do advance, um, poor Milo, she's going to likely have to face Stan Vavrinka in the second round, yep. which is just, oh God, what a brutal draw to start out, not just with uh, Kyrgios, but then to follow it up with with a guy of Stan's magnitude who's uh, starting to make some some progress, I feel like, as well, as he's still coming back from things. And then for for Chapo, uh, I mean, gosh, a third round match with with Djokovic would be pretty uh, pretty entertaining for us yeah, to watch. Yeah, that
0: would, that would be fantastic to see. And yeah, as, as you mentioned for Milos, that, that almost feels like a fourth round and then a quarterfinal back-to-back. Not uh, not a first and second round, but... Uh, it's too soon. I, it's too soon. I, it is way too soon, but uh, that's how the uh, cookie crumbles in, in the case of this draw. And uh, Stan Vavrinka playing himself back into form. And he had, he had a nice week uh, as a tune-up in Doha. Had a couple nice wins uh, before bowing out to Roberto Batista-Gut. Uh, he was the one who Got the big win over Andy Murray in that first round match. Couple more notes, I guess, on the men's side before we delve into the women's side. Um, Novak Djokovic, are, are you with John Wertheim and thinking he's kind of the clear-cut favorite going in?
2: Yeah, he is the clear-cut favorite for me as well. I think for most people, he's got to be going in. But that being said, there are signs that uh, you know he he is vulnerable to a certain extent given that it's been a few tournaments now in a row to close out 2018, start 2019, where he's not hoisting the trophy on the, the final day. And uh, I think also we got to be aware that, you know, at his stage of the career, what matters most is performance in the Grand Slams. And that being said, boy, Wimbledon in the U.S. Open, was he, was he ever good? And you know he's going to bring that mentality to uh, the Aussie Open, uh, a slam where he's, uh, you know, won six times before, as, as John mentioned to us. So uh, certainly the number one, uh favorite uh but there are others that I think and, and it'll be interesting to watch how things start to to play out here uh, certainly already even on day one, just to look at some of the results from uh, from yesterday really, uh, a couple of upsets in in a sense uh, Thomas Burdick, who didn't do all that much in two thousand and eighteen, strong start to this year uh where he uh did well in Doha making the finals there, and then dispatching the fourteenth seed Kyle edmond six three six love seven five which has really got to be a disappointment for Edmund. Uh, Not just the scoreline, but uh, semi-final points from last year. Yeah,
0: he was defending a lot, uh, which is I'm thinking back to Edmund's first-round match actually last year, and he beat Kevin Anderson, I think, in five sets in the first round. So some heavy-hitting first-round matches, back-to-back years for Kyle Edmund. Wins the one last year and then uh, loses this year to Tomas Burdick, who was playing some surprisingly inspired tennis. He was kind of one of those names pushing to mid-30s that I was starting to write off and and think maybe his career is is heading for for a quick end but uh someone someone
2: you don't want to face though someone right no one wants to face a guy like that in the first round dangerous floater and uh just a tough day for the brits really between all the andy murray stuff and and kyle edmund going down as well unfortunately for for them
0: yes he was uh he was probably the next uh, british hopeful in there interesting for novak djokovic to me he gets the top end of the draw and the potential semi-final on the bottom Half of the draw would be Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal. Of course, some bullets to dodge for both of those players there to make that happen. One potential round of 16 match I was looking ahead to, which could be great, would be a Tsitsipas-Federer match. That would be very entertaining and fun if we could if we'd get something like that.
2: Yeah, and they just played each other uh, last week at the Hopman Cup with yes. Federer winning in, in straight sets via two tie breaks. Uh, obviously, Hopman Cup, totally different type of uh, event being a, an exhibition and having the men and the women together. So it's uh, you know a little bit more in, enjoyable for the players, not so much a cutthroat type of environment. But it was neat to see them play for the first time. I'd love to see it happen officially for the first time in a, in a Grand Slam event. So yeah, we're hoping fourth round that that, that can, can come to be.
0: Before we uh, jump over to the women's side, let's do this instead of making terrible predictions and blowing this. Let's let's choose, as uh, often the pundits do, a dark horse pick just outside of the top ten. A name you're looking at, maybe on the men's side, to make a bit of a run, make a bit of a no- bit of noise at this tournament.
2: Oh boy, I'm going to go with uh, either of the Russians, whether it be uh, Karen Khachanov or Daniil Medvedev, because both have progressed so much over the last year um, and and have so much talent. Have already got some some wins against big players, as uh, certainly Khachanov with the, the Paris Masters to sort of finish off his 2018. I'm looking at. Uh, one of them, perhaps, as a dark horse, and uh, I kind of like Kachanov's draw. To be honest, looks like he could get a little momentum going there. Uh, so I guess I'll I'll pick him.
0: I'll uh, you know what? I'll mix it up and go in the other direction because. This pick could potentially play Kachanov in the third round, and maybe he's going to summon some momentum from winning Doha to start the year, then beating Andy Murray in five sets. Roberto bautista Agut looks like he's playing the best tennis of his career, at least to start. 2019 could be a scrappy match with John Millman. He's just this ultimate ATP grinder who's going to wear you down with the lengthy 15, 20, 25-ball rallies. And uh, I'd love to see that match with Kachanov. I think that could be a great encounter between those two if that happens.
2: Yeah, Bautista Agu is really not the guy that Andy Murray wanted to probably face in <laughs> no. his potentially, you <laughs> no, know, very difficult last Brown. match, whether it's in Australia or, or of his career, which we hope it isn't. But, uh, Th- that one you know um, was was going to be a tough battle for sure well uh, shift course to the women 's side
0: you 're listening to the Southpaw slice, remember, find us at southpaw underscore slice. You can find me at ben lewis s n five ninety and find Mike McIntyre at Pro Tennis fan. Our guest to start the program was John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated and the Tennis Channel and did a great job breaking down the men 's side. And time to talk about the women's side, which is doesn't feel like a tournament that we maybe have a few names circled that have a great shot of winning. It feels like, realistically, 15 names could win this thing. I mean, it, it's so wide open. Uh, I, I want to start with Serena Williams, I, I suppose, because she did get her offseason after reaching two Grand Slam finals in 2018. I don't know if 2018 was viewed as... A down year, a comeback year, incredible. Uh, but can she take another step forward?
2: There was so much going on with Serena Williams' comeback last year. It's hard to really focus and, and be able to take in the the, the big picture because uh, obviously some early struggles, as, as expected, coming back from so much time off and, and what she had gone through with her pregnancy and, and recovery from that. And then started making some progress. The French Open, boy, things were looking good. And we were all getting excited for that match against Sharapova and uh, and couldn't come to be. Yep. Then at Wimbledon, holy smokes, it just all came together for her and, and ended up in the finals there. And then in New York as well. So when you think about all the time she took off, the lack of match play she had in 2018, the fact that, and this isn't a critique, it's just a fact that her fitness levels last year were not admittedly where she even would, would want to be. Mm-hmm. And she still made two Grand Slam finals. Yes. It's pretty scary to me to think of what she might accomplish. I mean, come on, not all that much has changed in the last four or five months, except for the fact that she's gotten much fitter, put in a ton of time off the court to to get ready for this season. And she's coming in at the starting line with everybody else, which she wasn't able to do a year ago. There were rumors, or oh, she might be back for the Australian Open. She didn't feel she was yet ready to do so. So the fact that she's starting out with everybody else, uh, fit as can be, I'd be very, very concerned if I was going to be playing her at any point in this draw, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to see what she can put together for us here.
0: Yeah, and she's coming in as the 16th seed, the highest she's had in her name since uh, next to her name since her comeback. Uh, interesting match against Tatiana Maria to kick off something that looks like uh, a certainly a high favorite to produce a victory and potential very intriguing second round match if we have Jeannie Bouchard come through her first match we could see a Bouchard Serena Williams encounter but it looks like a pretty navigable draw for Serena Williams at least in the first first week there those first few matches look pretty comfortable you have Carlos Suarez Navarro up there at number 23 who I look at As a a solid player, but maybe a little more threatening on clay than on hard. Uh, So I I certainly can see Serena coasting through a few wins here. And and when she gets rolling, she can really, really get rolling.
2: And even to me, if she ends up facing, it looks like potentially world number one, Simona Halep in the uh, fourth round there. To me, this is you know maybe the best time to do it. Hallop hasn't had really many matches. I think she just played the one tournament and got knocked out early. Yes. To start this season, she's playing without a coach, so she doesn't have Darren. I mean, Darren Cahill's down there, obviously, and I'm sure they'll be touching base just informally. But she doesn't have that that coaching relationship this year with with uh, Cahill, and hasn't taken anyone else on board yet. Uh, She's talking about wanting to enjoy life a little bit more now and not be so, you know, so much pressure and focus on the tennis. Doesn't sound to me like someone who's got that, uh, you know, killer spirit uh, at the moment. So uh, I think a Serena matchup against uh, Halep early in the year is probably a pretty good time to, uh, to get her.
0: That's true, and we'll, we'll see if that attitude from Simona Halle bodes in her favor or works against her uh, at the, the front end of the Australian Open. And interesting, her first match coming against Kaya Kanepi, the player who took her out of the U.S. Open last year. That'll be 3 a.m. Eastern time on day two in Melbourne. So if you're waking up listening to this, that match will have gone final. Fascinating that at the start of this tournament on the women's side, there are 11 players who could be the new world number one come the start of the tournament depending on how things shake down results wise and I I read through the names Halep as we said Wozniacki defending here Kerber Sloan Stevens Pliskova Svitolina Burton's Kasakina, Sabalenka all of these players Osaka pardon me all of these players seem capable uh, of winning winning seven matches in a row is there any name or a couple of names that maybe are standing out to you more
2: it's just remarkable, first of all. I mean, at each Grand Slam now, it seems like we're having this conversation at the beginning. Okay, these are the list of players that could be the world number one at the end, and there's so many of them. 11 seems like an awful lot. But yeah, you look at that list, and, and there was no one really there that would surprise me if they ended up being the last woman standing uh, in about two weeks' time. Are there names that jump out at me? Yes, and... uh I know it's been eight slams in a row now with uh, with a different woman, uh, you know, ending up victorious at the end of the tournament. I think that trend could very well continue. Uh, I'm I'm thinking someone like Arena uh, Sabalenka uh, or or an Ashley Barty who's looked good also early this season and has the home crowd support behind her. Um, those are my my two sort of picks. I think they're in the same quadrant too, uh, you know, unfortunately. But uh, Sabalenka in particular. Just looks so uh, physically um, fit and and just menacing out there on the court. Hits such a hard ball. We look at what she did with with Sharapova early in the season and yeah. just taking that hard hitting game, but to the next level and just doing everything as you mentioned earlier to me off air, a little bit better than than Maria. Uh, I've said it before, but I felt at the U.S. Open she could have had a real big run, but she was stopped by eventual champion Naomi Osaka uh, and just twenty years old. There's so much to look forward to there. And she has so much self-belief, and on the court just looks like she's so dialed in. To me, that's a scary player to face right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A name we've talked about in the past on our podcast a lot, still in the top 10, number six in the world, Alina Svitolina. She's, uh, do, do we call her kind of the Sasha Zverev of the women's tour, awaiting that Grand Slam breakthrough And uh, I don't know if it comes here in Melbourne, but uh, maybe some weight is a bit off her shoulders considering how how strongly she finished uh, 2018, winning the end of year title.
2: Yeah, she got a lot of flack last year and for a lot of different reasons, not just related to her results on the court, but just the overall transformation she seems to have gone through over the last 12 months as she's trying to find the, the right formula to break into that Grand Slam circle. And I think the comparison with Sasha Zverev on the men's side is probably a pretty decent one, although she is uh, two or three years older than, than he is. But the fact that she finished last year so strongly at the WTA finals, uh, really good, I think, just for also her mental well-being. So hopefully coming into and likely coming into this season, feeling just a lot better about herself as a tennis player overall. Uh, That being said, you know, until her and and Zverev have that breakthrough where they get to at least a semifinal of a major, you know, people are going to keep wondering and we're going to keep talking about it. And it's impossible to, to predict and say, yeah, I think this is the tournament where it's going to happen until they go out there and prove that they're they're capable and, and ready to do so.
0: And there's still uh, plenty of players who who have proven they are capable. I'm looking at the bottom half of the draw and looking at Angelique Kerber, who got her tune up in Sydney uh, and won a few matches before losing to Petra Kvitova. And Kvitova played some fantastic Tennis in Sydney, capturing the title there, beating Ashley Barty, actually 7-6 in a third set. Ash Barty, we talk about uh, another one of these rising stars. But Petra Kvitova won five titles um, last season. The only thing that was kind of missing on that resume last year was Grand Slam results. But she's produced them twice at Wimbledon with two Grand Slam titles. I also wonder if, if a name like Kvitova is, is someone who could push into the second week and, and give herself a chance to contend.
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, her success in 2018 at non-Slam events kind of got overshadowed by the fact that she didn't have that moment at at any of the majors. Uh, that would be a player that I think a lot of people in the tennis community, obviously, would be very happy to see her be able to translate that success one more time at a slam level given all that she's been through. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable that she's even playing after that that awful uh, attack that she had uh, over a year ago and how she's come back uh, so strongly and just picked up, uh, you know, right where she left off, if not even stronger somehow. So uh, Kvitova is one to watch as well. Look, I'm looking at this draw. Come the third round, we're going to have so many matches that could be finals at any other tournament <laughs> on the tour. That's right. And that's the fun of the WTA tour right now, I feel like, is this incredible... Incredible depth, all these personalities, these different types of games, young and old. To me, the WTA Tour has like the perfect mix of athletes right now and 2019 should be another you know, wonderful season for, for uh, the Tour and its players and its fans, of course.
0: Yeah, I'm just looking at a, a third-round potential blockbuster. Maria Sharapova came flying out of the gates over uh, a, sort of an unknown qualifier, winning 6-love, six 6-love, six and Caroline Wozniacki also threw to the second round. That is a potential third-round match, uh, Wozniacki, against Sharapova. Obviously, if you go back maybe five, six years, we're looking at that match as a uh, semi-final. but here we are today, Maria Sharapova, over the 30th seed uh, against the third seed of Wozniacki, that would be a very fun, compelling match. We already had a couple upsets early on. We talked about Julia Gerges, maybe as a bit of a Canadian killer, uh, but she exits first round a bit surprisingly to uh, Daniel Collins, the American, in three sets. French Open champion Yelena Ostapenko already out. So, you know, the seeds are going to drop sometimes like flies on the women's side. And we've had this conversation before. I think it is actually more about depth and strength of the tour rather than weakness.
2: Yeah, it was fun to watch yesterday, last night, early in the morning, however you want to term it. Uh, for Julia Gurgis, it was uh, maybe a little Canadian karma coming back at her for those for Perhaps. what she did to, to Jeannie and to Bianca uh, last week uh, in Auckland. But uh, yeah, that was an upset, I'd say for sure, against, against Collins. And then uh, Sakari, who took the first set against Ostapenko, 6-1. But then Ostapenko came storming back. Looked like she had the momentum until... All of the Greek fans came over to the court uh, at the conclusion of the Sissipas match and just absolutely tilted the balance uh, in that match. They were so loud, so vocal. Uh, you, you had to feel a little bit bad for Ostapenko because it was an entirely different. It was like they transplanted it into Greece for a Fed Cup match. <laughs> and that definitely had an impact in I'm propelling sure. Sakari to the uh, the victory over us to pank
0: Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up with the Canadians because our, our topic of the week last week at this time was Bianca Andreescu's incredible run in Auckland to the finals at the ASB classic, uh, reaching her first career WTA, uh, Final And just making a tremendous surge the 18 year old from Mississauga and competing in Melbourne this past week and qualifying with three match wins now she plays technically tonight against the qualifier 9 p.m. Eastern so uh, look there's there's a possibility when you listen to this she might be out of the tournament to me though this is already resounding success for Bianca taking another step forward following the success in Auckland.
2: Yeah, it's the second slam main draw that she's qualified in her young career, and uh, she didn't get to qualify for a main draw in 2018. It was actually the year before at Wimbledon where she... Uh, first made it as a, what, 16, almost 17-year-old, or just turned 17-year-old, I guess. So, you know, good for her to carry that momentum forward, not be too tired, not be too banged up. Uh, And she got through qualifying, you know, with as little time on court as you could hope for because two of her three opponents retired with uh, their own injury issues. So nice to see her in there. And then in terms of her placement in the draw, she didn't land against Pliskova. She didn't land against Sabalenka. I mean, there were some very dangerous players waiting for a qualifier there, and that could have been a very difficult uh, start for her. Instead, she's got a 16-year-old American who, uh, former World Junior number 1 and and Grand Slam uh, Junior Champ at the French Open, but this has got to be the the best possible opponent you can you can hope for the difference between a 16 year old and an 18 year old especially given the fitness level of Bianca Andriescu uh, I'd say this is a prime opportunity uh, that being said we're kind of recording at a, a dangerous time so hopefully it works out if it doesn't it's still progress she's had a great start to the year she's qualified for the main draw and she's got you know very little in terms of substantial points to, to defend this year Yeah, she's on the cusp of the top 100 in the world
0: yeah and she will uh, certainly cruise right into there and one thing in terms of rest and feeling good that, that is a positive I mean I, I hate to say it but two of her players uh, that she beat in qualifying did have to retire with injuries saving her a lot of court time so that could certainly help in her benefit We'll wrap with Jeannie Bouchard, and we know she she had a strong start to 2019. She's been quietly putting things together. Interesting match for her also happening uh, just uh, after we record this podcast against Peng Shui, who was actually dealt a six-month suspension the previous year. Uh, But she's back in the tournament as a wild card. How do we place expectations, I guess, on Jeannie? I I mean, I feel like we've been trying to tread carefully with her and, and, you know, offer words of encouragement that we've seen signs of good tennis.
2: It's a resurgence no matter what happens here in Melbourne. It's already a resurgence for Jeannie. She's turned the table and started to take some positive strides forward the way she ended last year, the way she started this year with uh, that great match against Gerges where she held a match point. I mean, that could have gone either way. Yep. and And so, I, while well, I consider her to have a, a pretty good shot in this opening round match, uh, you never know, and and beyond that, you know, Serena Williams in the in the second round is is not someone that uh, that you want to face that that early in the tournament. But regardless for Jeannie, I just think her her body language, her um, you know, what she's saying in in interviews, and just how positive she's appearing for the first time in in quite a while. Yeah. I think it really bodes well for her this year. She's already back inside the top one hundred. She's reclaimed the the Canadian number one uh, ranking, and uh, and I I think that you know. A, a top 50 type of return for her is now something that I can see us talking about as a possibility Yeah, where a year ago at this time, you know, not so much.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, right now just inside the top 80 at number 79, I hope we get uh, if we can call it a blockbuster match, at least in Canada of seeing Jeannie Bouchard, just get an opportunity to face Serena Williams, see where she measures up and uh, you know, not getting blown off the court seeing if she can compete at that level uh, with someone who's won 23 grand slam titles uh, would be great. Great to see! Uh, thanks again to John Wertheim for joining us for Australian Open preview, and we will be back as well next week when we will be a week through the tournament, and I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about.
2: In a more sleep-deprived state, of course, <laughs> yes. after a week of you know early mornings and late nights. So enjoy that, everybody, as well.
0: Yes, enjoy the uh, 3:30 a.m. match times. There is a thing called PVR if you need it. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, you can find us on Twitter, on SoundCloud. I'm Ben Lewis. That was Mike McIntyre. Thanks for listening.